So, yeah, we're going to keep going through this um, series called The Kingdom. We're going through Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10 over the year, but we'll kind of break it up with some other stuff. Um, so this tonight is about, this is a story of Jesus healing. We looked at Jesus healing the leper last week. This is another healing story. Um, but before we start, I'm just going to get you to turn to someone next to you. If you don't know them or don't have someone, maybe find someone and say hi or get to know them. And I want you to ask or just have a think to yourself, when was the last time you were amazed or surprised or uh, in some way, maybe a big way, maybe a small way? Um, off you go. Sometime recently. It doesn't have to be the exact last time. Sometime recently. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, have you had something that recently amazed you? Um, does anyone want to share? Feel free just to yell it out. Whoa, that is cool. Seven hours old. Nice. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm getting married this year. Wow, that is amazing. That's cool. Awesome. The king of heaven will make his own decision because I'm getting married my girlfriend, Marissa Wallen. Cool. Awesome. You have to tell us... You tell us when you get engaged, Lincoln. That'll, that'll be good. That'll be awesome. Um, anybody else? Quickly. I was pretty amazed at Will Eastwood's ability to block me playing Frisbee this week. and <laughs> blocking my throws. Yeah, David. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> right now. <laughs> cool. I might be a bit loud. I feel pretty loud up here. So you guys can keep chatting maybe over dinner, things that amaze you. But we're actually going to read a story of a time when Jesus was amazed. Um, and there's actually only two times in the Gospels when it says that Jesus was amazed or was surprised. And I'll tell you about the other time, but this is, this is one time. So basically, we're just going to read through the story um, of a healing story. And as we read it, what I want us to do is try and imagine being there and being the people in the story, particularly the man or, or thinking about what Jesus would be thinking. Because when we hear stories about Jesus healing, it's kind of easy for us to look back and be like, okay, yeah, we know who Jesus is. We know he rose from the dead. We know he has, he's God in the flesh. He can heal. That's, that's easy. But imagine being there and he hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's, to a lot of people, just this guy who's healing people and teaching and he's doing amazing things, but they don't necessarily know exactly who he is or what he can do or what he's capable of. So we kind of have to place ourselves there as we read the story. So remember the context the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been teaching, he's come down a mountain, and now people are coming up to him. And this story says this, Jesus, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Now, a centurion is someone in the military who's a commander, uh, centurion comes from century, meaning a hundred. So this is like a military commander who would oversee maybe a hundred people um, up to sort of around that. Potentially a Roman centurion. He might have been from Syria. He might, was from a different country. So he wasn't Jewish. And when we read through the, the Gospels, Jesus is Jewish. He's from Israel. And most of the people he's talking to are Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. Um, 
And this man is a centurion. He's not Jewish. He's an outsider, in a sense. And he's in the military. He's a commander. But he's in a desperate situation. And he comes to Jesus. He says, he comes asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So he's got this problem. Um, he has a servant. Some people also translate this son. Um, so it could be a slave or it could be his child who's suffering, who is paralyzed. And obviously the centurion cares about him. Um, which is actually notable because if it was a slave, lots of people back then didn't even care about their slaves. Slaves were like property. Um, but this, this man cares for his servant. Um, so he comes to Jesus. He sees that Jesus has the power to heal. So Jesus responds to him and says, shall, shall I come and heal him? This, the same last week, Jesus just touches a leper and he's cleansed and he's healed. And Jesus can come and heal this man. But there's an issue. Um, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, this could be a few things. On the one hand, I suppose this man's in the military, like he's a man of war. Um, he's, he's, he's maybe doesn't really feel worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. He sees Jesus' authority. He sees Jesus' power. And this, he's humbled by that. And he sort of says, well, I don't deserve you to come to my house. Um, another part of it as well is that there's a cultural issue which, like we talked about last week, about clean and unclean and, and lepers being unclean and, and people not being able to touch them or they become unclean, it's similar with Gentiles. Um, so Gentiles are people who are not Jewish and Jews are not supposed to eat or go into their homes. So in order for Jesus to heal the servant, he would have to come into the house, which could make him unclean. And the centurion says, I don't want to bother with that or I don't want to cause any fuss. So it's interesting. So there's a problem here. So two problems, really. One problem is the centurion has a servant um, who's suffering. He's, he's in a desperate situation. He's seen that Jesus can heal people, but he's probably only seen Jesus heal people that he touches. If, and, and it kind of makes sense. If Jesus is near someone and touches them or prays over them or speaks to them, then they're healed. But this man doesn't want Jesus to come to his house. So what's he going to do? There's, there's a problem. And it's interesting because the solution to the problem that the centurion finds is he says to Jesus, well, don't bother coming to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And we kind of read that and we're like, oh, of course Jesus can just say a word and he's healed. But when you think about it in the context, like, that's pretty amazing. Like, he wouldn't have seen Jesus do that. He's seen Jesus heal people. And now he's so confident in Jesus' power that he believes that Jesus can be standing here and just say a word and someone in another district, another suburb can be healed. Like, not touching him, not being in his presence, not being near him. Like, that's amazing. And it's interesting because this centurion then explains kind of how he understands this. Using his work. He's, he's in the army and he says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he's sort of saying, well, actually, I know what it's like to be in charge and to have authority. He, he oversees all these other soldiers, and he can say a word, and they have to obey him. They, they listen. He has authority. And he sees that Jesus has authority over sickness. So he says, okay, well, Jesus, you can just say it, and it will happen. And this is actually amazing faith. Like, to, to believe that. And this actually amazes Jesus. It says it here. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, 
Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Like, this, this man with this problem, with a servant, and not, Jesus not being able to come to the house, says, well, Jesus, just say the word. And Jesus is amazed. He says, wow, like, you, you have that much confidence in my ability to heal. And he's amazed. And then Jesus says, well, I haven't seen anyone like this even in Israel. The people of God, the Jews, no one believes like this. It's actually something that he hasn't seen in this, in this time before. And we're going to pull out a few things from this story, but what we want to see just to start with is that what amazed Jesus in this story and what matters in this story is faith. And what we're doing in this series is thinking about the kingdom, because in these passages in Matthew, Jesus is, is demonstrating the kingdom of God, which is God's rule and God's reign, how God operates in the world. And what we want to do is sort of think, well, how do we sometimes think, maybe naturally, maybe in our culture, in our world, and how is the kingdom different? Because there's lots of ways that the kingdom is really different. It's kind of upside down, and we want to seek it first, so we have to understand it. And in the kingdom, what is valuable, what matters, is faith. And when Jesus sees it, he, he's, he's amazed, he's impressed. Um, I don't know if anyone knows the other time when Jesus is amazed. It's, it's the only other time when Jesus is amazed in the Gospels is at the disciples' lack of faith. He says, whoa, you don't, really don't believe me. Like, he's, so, he's surprised that they don't believe. There's a Gentile who believes amazes him. His own followers who don't believe amazes him. So faith in the kingdom is what matters. But this is kind of confusing sometimes for us because faith means different things. Um, sometimes the way we use faith in sort of our society or culture is kind of, well, you have facts over here and you have knowledge over here and truth and, and science and reason, and then you have faith. And, and faith is just your personal opinion or your personal beliefs about what are things that you just can't really know. And if you believe something, that's really good for you. And if someone else believes something, that's really good for them. And let's just have faith and that's, that's fine. And, and it's just a belief. It doesn't necessarily impact our life. Um, there can be a big disconnect. Whereas faith in the Bible is, is not that. It's not just a personal preference or an opinion. It, it's confidence in what's actually true. Um, and it, it's something that's not seen. It's, it's not scientific. It needs to be trusted. But it's, it's a confidence that's actually true. Faith in the Bible, the way it's is, is talked about, is belief with action and confidence. Faith is actually more of an action word in the Bible than just a, a kind of beliefs word. It's not just, oh, we just believe that, that's my beliefs, but then I live this way. Faith is to live and to act in accordance with what we believe. And in actually, the way that we live and the way that we act kind of more so shows what we really believe. Um, but, so there's, there's this, this overlap. Um, Dallas Willard puts it this way, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it, we believe something when we act as if it were true. So it's not just about being really genuine and, and, and having these beliefs, but it's actually acting in accordance with them. Faith is about trusting God. And it's not just faith in general in the Bible. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about faith in Christ. Faith that Jesus is Lord. Faith that Jesus has authority. Faith that Jesus is alive. And actually believing that that's true that's the most truest thing in the world, and then living according to that. It says this in Hebrews 11 about faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So there's this aspect of hope 
of not seeing it happen yet, but believing. Um, it's this aspect of confidence. And, and you can still have faith. And, and in many ways, faith is always there's a wrestle with doubt. Uh, but, it's, but it's a sense of confidence in God and trust and action in accordance with that. And through the Bible, people that are commended before God or by God are people of faith. Hebrews 11 is this chapter which just talks about all these people who lived by faith. They, God said something and they believed him and they acted accordingly in crazy situations. And, and God is impressed with those people. He, he commends those people. But the, So the kingdom, faith is what matters. But the kind of default we find ourselves in in our culture is not really that. Like People might say, well, faith is good, but more so really if you doubt, that's kind of seen as good. To, to doubt, to question. Again, Dallas Willard is pretty harsh, but he says it this way, we live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. He says, you can be almost as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. There's a bit of a stab. But it's interesting, right? Like, like the kind of way that maybe we're brought up or the way we're taught is to question stuff and doubt stuff. And, and if someone just says something, don't just take their word for it. Like, like question, test, be, be sure, but work it out for yourself. And maybe someone says something about uh, a faith and it's kind of like, yeah, but what if this and what if that and what if this and I don't know about that. And th if someone sort of talks like that, we think, well, they're really smart. Like, they're really thinking things through and, and that's really good. Now, there's definitely good things about that. So doubt is normal. Um, I've been through a lot of doubt. So, uh, Oftentimes, it's just something that we have to go through, and it's good to be honest about it. It's good to question stuff. It's good to not just take my word for things and go and test it with the Bible. It's good to really think through what we believe and so forth. But in some ways, our culture says, well, actually, just doubt and question and be a skeptic. That's a good thing. But in the kingdom, God actually commends people who believe. It, God values people who take his word and trust it. And don't have to question it and don't have to really press it and test it, but actually just believe him. In, in the Bible, Abraham is, is, is held up as the, like the father of the people of God because he believed God. God said something to Abraham and he believed him. And, and God is impressed with that and says, that's good. And he says, be like that. That actually when God says something, actually just to believe him. But kind of that might just seem like, oh, that's not naive and... That's just, it's just strange. Like, now you need to test. It's like, well, actually, the kingdom's different. Faith is what matters. Trusting God. Believing God. So, so I hope that makes sense. Not, not, not saying there's not a place for that, but that maybe we too highly value doubt and certainty, whereas in the kingdom, God values faith, trust, putting our confidence in when we don't see. When, when he's just said something, we place our confidence in him. And I guess that's the question around this, is, well, what, what actually matters in our life? Like, if, if in the kingdom, faith is what matters, and trusting God, and believing Him, is that what matters to us? If we think about your life, and maybe the trajectory, and what you want to grow in, and your goals even, is one of them to grow in faith, to be someone who trusts God, to, to believe Him, and act in accordance with what He said? Um, or is what matters to us other things, like... Maybe what matters to us is more competence and, and being able to work really well and being able to problem solve and figure stuff out or, or maybe have increased finances or um, just good experiences or comfort. And, and again, they're not bad things, but 
what would it look like to value what God really values and seek to grow in faith? Because even difficult things in our life um, might actually be working to the purpose of growing faith. It says this in First Peter about trials and difficulties. He says, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says that your faith is being tested, but it's growing it. And actually, that's worth more than gold. Like, it's precious to God. It glorifies God. And is, is that what matters to us, that we want to grow and be people who grow in faith? So keep going. Start, start with sort of this, this flip to say faith is what matters. So Jesus heard this guy um, just, say, just, just say the word. Like, it's this confidence that Jesus can heal. He says, I haven't found faith like this in Israel. And then he starts talking about the future and about the kingdom. So we're learning about the kingdom. Jesus gives some commentary on the kingdom. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So again, imagine Jesus is speaking to people who are around. Most of them are Jews. And he's saying people are going to come from outside of Israel, people who aren't Jewish, like this centurion. They're going to come from the east and the west. They're going to join the family of God. God's plan was always that it would be a multi-ethnic, different races, different languages, together, joined. And then he says this, the subjects of the kingdom, this could be the heirs of the kingdom or the children of the kingdom, will be thrown outside in the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's talking about the future. There'll be a future, Jesus is saying, when people like this centurion who are kind of on the outside will be welcomed in, and people who think they're on the inside, people who have been descendants of Abraham, have been Jewish or have grown up going to synagogue, who, who have this background, will actually find themselves out. And there'll be frustration and, and regret. And this is a pretty intense thing that Jesus is saying. The point is, faith is what matters, not nationality or religious background. You see, this, this man has come who's not of the right religious background or the right nationality according to the current time when this happened, but he has faith. And Jesus is saying he's in the kingdom. And there's other people who have the right nationality or the right religious background that don't have faith, and he's saying actually well, they, they will find themselves on the outside. There's actually faith is what matters, not nationality or religious background. And that's still true today, that in the kingdom, in the church, what unites us, the way in, is through faith. It says this in Galatians. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you all baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So imagine that like a kingdom, right, is, is a people. So there's a people with a king. So it's like a people group or a nation. Um, we live in a, in a country as well. So countries have borders. Um, around them that sort of mark them off. Sometimes people groups have certain practices that mark them off, like the Jewish people had circumcision and food laws and so forth. So if you want to be in, you need to follow those things. Um, in a similar way, like there's, there's certain things that you need to satisfy to come into Australia, to, to cross the border. So na na nations have borders and things that block. And there's a border of the kingdom, but it's an open border. Anyone can be in the kingdom if they have faith in Christ. It's, it's any nationality, any religious background, any class, as long as they have faith in Christ. That's the way in. 
And he says about baptism is really the way to demonstrate that you have faith in Christ. So it, 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 baptism in some ways is almost like a border. It's like you're dying to yourself and you've come to new life and it's dis- displayed for everyone around you and it's a symbol of, well, actually, that this is what God's done in your heart and you're in the kingdom. So it's an open border. There is a border. It's an open border for all who have faith. He says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there, nor is there male or female, for you're one in Christ Jesus. Again, William Barclay says it this way, Jesus Christ is not the possession of any race of man or woman. Jesus Christ is the possession of every man and woman in every race in whose heart there is faith. So God's heart is that we wouldn't be divided based on um, nationality, religious background, class, gender, that we would be united by faith in Christ. That's his heart. Faith is what matters not nationality or religious background. We see this in this story. This man is honoured. He doesn't have the right nationality or religious background according to the time, but he has faith. So two, two quick kind of things from this story and what, what this might mean for us today. So one is, it, it's probably not really that common anymore, but it might still be people who place their confidence before God in their nationality or in their religious background. And this is kind of saying, well, maybe there's people and you've kind of grown up in the church, you've kind of grown up as a Christian, and so Christian is kind of your religion um, that, that you tick. I mean, that used to be the case for pretty much everyone. Now it's, it's less likely that you'd sort of say that unless you're genuine, but still it might be the case that you sort of say, well, yeah, my parents are Christian and I'm a Christian and I go to church and, and um, that's kind of what I decided. And just put confidence in that before God and not put confidence in Christ, that, that, that's actually not what matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter about going to church or having the right religious background or subscribing to the right religion. What matters is trusting Jesus, is actually having faith in him, in the person of Christ, actually coming to a place of surrender and trust and, and acknowledgement, yes, your Lord, I ask your forgiveness for my sins and I commit my life to you. And because of that, yes, we go to church and we're in a community and, and we grow together and we seek to follow him. But you see, it's that way around, not the other way around. It's not, I go to church and I'm in this family, that's why I'm in. It's no, because of Christ. It's faith in Christ that matters. So that might be true um, for some. Another thing that this could mean for us is just, well, thinking what actually unites us as a church? Um, what, what brings us together? What's the common, what's the common thing? I mean, in, in one way, it, the common thing is, that, is the area that we live. Like, most people live fairly local. Um, but there's a danger that churches become groups that are just like-minded people, but not because of their faith in Christ, because of something else. Maybe the same nationality or same demographic. Um, maybe the same sort of social class. Uh, maybe the same life stage. And we just want to hang out with people that are like us. Um, but that's not really God's heart for the kingdom. God's heart for the kingdom is that actually we would be a really diverse people, different people, but common faith in Christ. Different ages, different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different social demographics, different jobs, um, different experiences of life, different nationalities, but united in Christ because we all have faith and we're in the kingdom. And the question, what unites us together? All right. So this story finishes, and Jesus just says to the centurion, go, 
let it be done as you believed it would. Like he's just said to Jesus, just say the word, and Jesus says the word. He says, go, it's done, basically. Like, that's amazing. Jesus can just say a word, and someone can be healed. He said his servant was healed at that moment. And this is a man who, who was not expected to have this faith. And we kind of see that actually faith um, is often found in unexpected people. This wasn't a man that we would expect to have great faith. You'd expect the Jewish people to have great faith. You'd expect the, the religious teachers to have great faith. Like they're the ones who've studied the Bible, they're the ones who've been waiting for the Messiah. That's who you'd expect to have great faith. But it's someone who hasn't been a part of that, who's been on the outside that just has this great faith in Jesus that surprises Jesus. Like, that's not what you'd expect. Maybe it's similar today in a bit of a different way. Um, today, we really look up to experts, um, people who are knowledgeable in their field, um, people who are academics, maybe scientists, um, people who are successful. And we might think today, well, if this is really true, like, if... If Jesus really did rise from the dead, if he really is Lord, if he really is the true God, like if the Bible really is God's word, then surely more of the smart, wise people in our world would believe this, right? Like surely more people who are in universities, who are um, academics or who are scientists, who are successful in the world, surely way more of them would believe. That's what we would expect. And lots do, right? Like there's, there's plenty that do, but probably maybe would expect more. Uh, but we see again in the kingdom something different. That faith is often found in unexpected people. Um, this is amazing verse. Jesus, this excites Jesus. Jesus it praises God for this. There's this time when he's, he's actually excited and he says, he's praying, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you are pleased to do. That's amazing, right? That's not what we would expect. We'd say, oh, well, it, what would make sense would be for God to reveal himself to all the powerful people, all the influential people, all the wise people. But Jesus says, no, my father's not like that. He, he comes to the humble. He comes to those unexpected. He comes to little children and reveals himself to them. Like, that's, that's crazy. There's this passage in Corinthians, Paul talking to the church, and he just says to them, right, like, not many of you are wise by human standards. He basically just says to this church, you're not very smart. Like, <laughs> not many were influential. You're not powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. You didn't have the right background. You didn't have the right education. You, you weren't looked up to in the world. Maybe you're kind of seen as a bit of a failure. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so no one may boast before him. Like, like God, God says, I'm going to flip everything. I'm going to come to the weak, to the unexpected, to the humble, and I'm going to give them great faith so that no one can boast. So God gets all the glory. That's, that's not what we expect, but it's, it's, it's how the kingdom operates. There's this other verse. I'll read it out. It's a bit long, um, but it's, it's worthwhile. It's pretty intense. But James is talking to a church and illustrating this, how we kind of don't think according to the kingdom. We think a different way we need to flip. He says it this way, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. If someone comes to church tonight 
a gold ring, nice suit or something, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is pretty intense. He says this, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? You have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James says, this situation comes in someone who's successful, well-off, smart, wise. You think, oh, well, we need to honor them. They, they, they must have great faith. Someone seems a bit like a failure, rejected, not, not really welcomed or valued in society. Oh, let's not really worry about them. He says, no, it's opposite in the kingdom, right? Like, often it's the poor who are rich in faith. Actually, someone might not look like very successful in the world, and they might be super successful in the kingdom. Like, they might be way up there in God's opinion or in God's, like, sort of ranking system. Like, we have maybe a ranking system. God has a totally different ranking system. And faith is really what it's about. And he's saying, well, actually, God often reveals himself to the unexpected. Faith is often found in unexpected people. I suppose a question for us to kind of reflect on tonight is, I guess, kind of where are we looking and what are we looking at and, and how are we maybe discerning and looking for faith in others? Are we open to unexpected faith in those around us? That maybe actually God, or maybe we're actually with someone and, and if we were just looking through the eyes of the world, we would sort of maybe not think much of them. But actually if we look with the eyes of the kingdom, we actually say, wow, God, this is, this is a holy person, someone who trusts and honors God, God is at work in them, even though maybe they're rejected, God, God can work powerfully. So this is kind of summary of tonight. In the kingdom, faith is what matters, not nationality or religious background, and faith is often found in unexpected people. So you want to flip and, and value what God values, value how the kingdom operates, and sort of check how maybe we've just been thought naturally and sort of start to work through and start to think God's way. So sort of in terms of what we can do tonight is, is, is just make that shift, what we, to start to value faith in ourselves. Maybe actually say, actually, I don't have much faith. God, I need faith. Uh, I, I want my goal and my trajectory of life to be growing in faith, um, not, not just growing in self-sufficiency or ability. Or like, like having gifts and abilities and being competent is good, but, but what really matters is faith and believing God. Same in our church community, like... like we want to be a community of faith um, that believes God. And like, it's good to be a community that can problem solve and can figure stuff out and can come up with solutions for stuff. And, and, but sometimes we kind of just do all that and maybe if we really get to the end of it, maybe we'll pray or maybe we'll ha have faith or have to believe. But what would it look like if it's the other way around? We just believe God. Like the centurion had a practical problem, right? Like how do I get Jesus to heal my servant when Jesus can't come to my house? And like, he could have come up with other solutions. Like, he could have got, I don't know, someone to carry them. Other people did that. Like, let's just carry the servant. Like, let's, let's work out another way that we can fix this practical problem. But he says, well, no, how about Jesus just says a word? Like, that'll do. Like, like he, he's, he's, it's actually a very practical solution, but it's, it requires faith. 
What would it be like if, if we were more a people of faith who, who valued just seeking God and believing him to break in and to value faith in unexpected people, to see it in unexpected places and to have eyes to see what God is doing that maybe the world might reject? And I suppose in some ways this flip means actually like what direction are we heading and is it the right one? Uh, Stephen Covey said, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. So what wall is our ladder leaning against? Is the way that we're living leaning against the wall of the kingdom that measures our life and our, our direction and our values according to the kingdom? Or is our wall leaning against just our culture or our upbringing or sort of the world that, that is more values of support yourself, make life work, independence, self-sufficiency, success, but actually maybe that's not the direction of the kingdom. Um, so I suppose we're continually going through this flip. How do we live? How do we seek first the kingdom? How do we trust God's way, which is better? How do we grow in that um, so we're not going to the wrong place faster? So we're going to respond tonight um, with communion um, and, and with prayer. And as I've been studying this this week, I've kind of been feeling more and more aware of my lack of faith <laughs> um, and need to grow in faith. And maybe it's how you're feeling tonight. Um, this topic like this can bring up a whole lot of other questions, like, well, that was easy for Jesus to say a word, but maybe he hasn't healed me of this, or he didn't heal this person, or how does that work? And that, that's, that's a big topic and, and a big question um, to work through as well. Uh, but we want to be a people that still believes God for, for healing, for, to work powerfully, um, to, to listen and answer. And tonight, so if, you, if you'd like prayer for anything, for faith, for, for healing, for anything, I'm just going to stand up the back um, while we take communion and during the um, songs. And Joe, Joe's going to be up the back as well. Um, so feel free to come and pray. And, um, and as we just engage in communion, let's just be open to God. Um, so maybe let's stand together and I'll pray and then we'll respond. So maybe let's even just kind of in ourselves just take a second to change gear. Um, like you've kind of been in thinking gear or just learning gear or studying gear and we want to swap to responding to God gear and being open to God um, and listening to Him. And Father... Um, yeah, God, we believe you, uh, that you are Lord Jesus, um, that you are King, that you're present, um, that, that you grant, give your Holy Spirit, Lord, to those who believe. Lord, as we come to take communion, we are acting out um, the belief that you died, that your body was broken, that your blood was poured out for forgiveness of sins, that you're alive and you're returning, and we believe that. And Father, just even ask as we, as we respond to you tonight, God, increase our faith. God, where, where we don't believe you, would we be able to trust you? And God, would you um, yeah, shift our hearts and minds and renew our minds to think according to your kingdom and to your values and to your direction, God? So Holy Spirit, would you come and just meet us, um, speak to us, lead us? And we just pray this in your name. Amen.